Welcome to the De-School Yourself podcast. Healing the 15,000-hour infliction of public school. Hosted by Zach Slayback and Jeff Till. This installment is called Getting Help and Helping Out. In this episode, Zach was recording from a tool shed at an Airbnb in California and had some connection issues with his Wi-Fi. So some of the Skype audio gets a little funky. Uh, Hopefully you can still make out what he says and it won't be too unbearable. I think it gets better as the podcast goes on. So thanks for your patience and enjoy. Today we're going to talk about how to help others de-school. And this can be probably a pretty sensitive topic for some people. It's almost the whole reason why we've created this series is because it's such an underserved topic in day-to-day life. Uh, Certainly, they're never going to teach you at school or university uh, how to undo the damage that was inflicted upon you in school. Uh, You're probably not going to hear it from your coworkers, and your parents are probably not going to help you do this either. So I, I imagine the only time that you really probably need to help other people is when they're expressing frustrations like we've talked about. And they they see it themselves as a sort of state of nature, and haven't yet self-diagnosed. Well, I, 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 I'm not even I'm not even sure if that's the only case. I think that you know there's there's a lot of people who have an interest in helping other people de-school. You know, at, at risk of sounding a little paternalistic, this is something that is one of those things that will objectively help people live a better life. Mm-hmm. So I I don't know. I, I'm not sure if I'm if I'm on the same page that we should wait until they say like oh something's wrong help me. I, I think it's something that you should be taking active uh, efforts to do every day. Uh, you know, if, especially if you have employees, if you have children, if you have students, um, if you're in any of these positions where you know somebody has vested some sense of authority in you, uh, and you have a vested interest in them succeeding then you should actively try to help those people de-school. It will help them become more effective. It will help them become better people. It will help them uh, get closer to their sense of human flourishing. So like I said, I, I think if you're a, a parent, teacher, employer, uh, any of those things, um, you know, unless you're in a, a bureaucrat at like General Electric or <laughs> PricewaterhouseCoopers, then you probably want your employees to, to be de-schooled. Okay. I'll, I'll agree with that. Uh, do you think uh, people should um, should chew out their parents for sending them to school? No, you know th- this is this is a topic where it's really really easy, myself included, unfortunately, in the past. Where when you realize just how how much school has influenced your worldview, and when you realize, oh, you know, this was one of the things we talked about with Thaddeus Russell. This was actually. Uh, well, one, it was kind of compulsory, but it was kind of not, too. Like, there were options. You could drop out, or you could homeschool, or you could go to other things, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really, really easy to get caught up and really ticked off at, like, one's parents. Um, and I don't think that's particularly productive. It can be really good for, like, kind of, like, putting the fire in your stomach to read through on all the materials in one night or something. But I think, one, if you... Frame it in terms of resentment, uh, in terms of frustration with other people. It's going to make you considerably less effective at convincing other people, first of all. And two, it's probably also like part part of de-schooling, I think, is 
moving out of the zero-sum worldview. And it's not effective or productive for the individual at hand to just be resentful towards people who were probably trying their best with the information they had available to them. Yeah, it would it, it would make for an interesting conversation, I think, especially younger in life. So maybe so the point is that obviously not to chew out your parents. But if anything, if if you can bring them along for your own journey, uh, they may even realize that they have their own journeys to take to. It's, it's like a conversation that should be had. Um, just framing it in terms of why did you put me through this institution in in a uh, kind of negative again zero sum worldview is is one that's not going to be practically productive or uh, fulfilling I think the other person that might be I'm gonna go to two other people that are going to be close to you uh, probably your, your your spouse or your your better half uh, would probably be a wonderful person to bring along on, on this journey uh, especially if they they are feeling any kind of frustration um, since that's the person you're gonna spend so much of your time with and have so much influence over. Of all the people that you can really help, uh, uh, it's your own children that you probably have the most profound uh, help in de-schooling, or even better yet, uh, not have not having them have the schooling experience to begin with. I mean, one of the things I regularly run into is is that it's considerably more difficult for somebody to go from having a couple years in school to moving into a non-school oriented world uh, than it is just to take somebody and never really put them through that process in the first place. I think that if you have that opportunity early on and, you know, you and I have discussed before the importance of having other people bought in, right? Like your Mm -hmm. spouse. Um, I've I've talked to many, many people who've said, yeah, I I really, I tried homeschooling. I tried unschooling, what have you. Uh, But, you know, the wife wasn't on board, which is actually like a really big point. <laughs> the other person mm-hmm. needs to be on board. Um, I think an, a, another point, though, that we're that's often left out of a lot of these decisions, especially among school-oriented libertarians, is that you, you know if you, if you read a lot of these criticisms of school, John Taylor Gatto uh, says this at one point, for example, that if there wasn't if school options or educational options weren't crowded out by the monopoly on compulsory state schooling, um, you would have a lot more options pop up in the marketplace, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of government institutions have a crowding out effect. We've seen this in with welfare programs, for example, that before welfare programs, there are a lot more uh, civic organizations providing mutual aid to people in their communities. But once the hundreds of welfare programs start to be pro- proliferated, people just don't think there's really demand for that anymore. And this is true of education as well. But I think it's really easy for people in these discussions to kind of throw up their arms and say like, well, the market will take care of it. And in the large abstract sense, the market will take care of it, but there have to be individual actors in that market, right? <laughs> so if somebody's listening to this and they have an idea for a, an educational institution, uh, a, a non-compulsory school of some kind, I encourage them to go out there and try to get customers for it because there you, you find a ton of people, a ton of people, myself included at times who love talking about this topic and they may even at some point decide to homeschool, but they're also the people who could go out there and start schools for lack of a better word. I really don't like calling them schools, but Uh, Mm -hmm. can start schools, can start education companies that provide realistic options to people in the marketplace who aren't able to, for example, homeschool or unschool. 
you know, I, I, you've seen more and more Montessori schools pop up in recent years, which is, is a good step in the right direction. Uh, one of our Praxis business partners is a company called Higher Ground, actually, that does this. They have a, a network of um, Montessori schools all over the country, which is one of the much more scalable models of approaching this, which is great for someone who just for whatever reason, they can't choose to homeschool or they're, you know, taking baby steps in that direction. Uh, simultaneously, you've seen the rise of like agile learning centers, which are, you know, kind of in the same category as, as Montessori schools or Sudbury schools. Uh, and I think that what you're going to have to see, what you're going to have to see is people actually making these steps and building more options for people to engage in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's the, the, on the higher education level, that's what we've, we've tried to do with Praxis is provide a realistic option for people who are trying to move uh, outside of the formalized higher education institutions, but there need, there need as many options out there as I think the market can support. Yeah, I agree 100%. Uh, I, I imagine, I like to think that the demand is not ready there, again, as you say, because not only because school uh, has, has sucked it out of the marketplace, but uh, people's minds still aren't there yet where they're, you know, frustrated enough with what school offers to be seeking something else. And they're probably... You know, right. in between, I mean, probably be much pal- more pal- palatable. I, I was going to say, I, I understand. Yeah, there, there, there's a lot of reasons why there isn't a ton of demand here. And if you didn't have this crowding out effect, and if you didn't have, you know, generations of people who have been through the institution that we identify as school today, yeah, the the demand would be entirely, entirely different. But also, the thing to keep in mind too is that. Any new technology, and a technology doesn't have to be, you know, 20 years ago would have been silicon, but today, you know, it doesn't have to be lines of code in your phone. A technology is any new way of doing something better, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that includes an in education. And any new technology, the first people who consume that technology are always weird. They're always kind of outsiders. They're kind of always people who go against the grain. The first adapters are always kind of odd, you know? And that's not a bad thing. Think of the original people who, the first time you heard about Uber, right? Unless you were totally insulated from new technologies, you probably were told about Uber at some point before it became really popular. And the person who told you about it was probably kind of weird um, in their own like little quirky way. Uh, or like who would, who would get into a car with a, comp- a complete and total stranger and let them like take you across across the city and hope that they don't do anything to you. Who would let a total stranger hop into their car and hope that they don't rob them, right? Uh, same with Airbnb, right? I, I'm recording this right now at an Airbnb in San Francisco uh, with a bunch of other people staying here and I'm not like freaking out that these people are going to steal the stuff from me. But a couple of years ago, somebody might have done uh, Even with, again, using the example of Praxis, original Praxis customers will tell you, I mean, I think they'd be proud of this. They'll tell you that they're a little, they go against the grain, right? They're mm-hmm. a little odd. They're a little different than other people. And that's how any new product starts out. So I think that it's really easy. I'm not disagreeing with you, Jeff, but I, I think that we have to be a little cautious about saying, well, there isn't a lot of demand here right now uh, because with any new technology, there's not going to be a ton of demand at first, Right. Mm-hmm. If there was going to be a ton of demand at first, it, the problem would already be solved. <laughs> so this is a huge, huge, huge problem, education, especially K through 12. Massive. 
I mean, the, the whole point of this entire discussion that we've been having over the last like 10 hours is that this is probably like the biggest problem in the modern world, right? But it's a really, really, really hard problem to solve. And the demand for a solution is actually fairly low for a number of reasons that you, you noted. But I think that as people provide more and more options, you're going to see less and less weird people engaging in those options. Homeschooling is an example here, right? 20, 30 years ago, people who homeschooled, go back and watch the old interviews with John Holt on homeschooling, right? The people who are in the audience who are like homeschoolers, they're kind of like your stereotypical homeschooler that a lot of people think of. They're people who are there doing it for like very niche uh, political or religious reasons. Some of them have like the denim skirts that go down to their ankles. They probably go home and they turn butter. That's what a lot of people think of or used to think of when they think of homeschooling. But if you know homeschoolers today, they're probably actually fairly normal people. And that's because that is an example of early adapters to a new technology, uh, the, the weird people. As the technology becomes more and more popular, as the technology becomes more and more popular, you're going to just see more and more normal people adapting to it. And with that, the demand will also increase. Probably the, my last point, and maybe it's not your last point, but my last point on helping others uh, de-school is to be a great example yourself. So if, if you're on this journey and you're finding the benefits are, are real and you're sort of understanding the lexicon and you've, you've understood everything else and you start making these great changes in your life, people are going to take notice and you know, want, to, want to be like you. So I think being a, an example is a really powerful way to help other people too. So let's, let's go to our next uh, section of this one, which is what, what should people do if they're currently in college or high school right now? Who, it's people who are going right. through the process of schooling. So if we have young people listening, but how about you give some advice being that you actually lived through this? For anybody who's listening to this, uh, who isn't familiar with my background, I'm 23 years old, would have graduated from the University of Pennsylvania this past May. Um, I, but I ended up dropping out after my sophomore year because a lot of the things that we're talking about, about becoming schooled, became very, very clear to me. And the detrimental effects of these became very clear to me, especially when compared up against the the plan for my life that I wanted to achieve. Um, it's really easy though to get caught in. This is this is like any trap of the mind, right? It's really hard for the subject to examine itself. Uh, we're not taught at any point in our lives when growing up, essentially an owner manuals for, an owner's manual for our mind, right? <laughs> That'd be a really useful tool to have, mm -hmm. but most people most people are not taught that. In fact, I think that they're active, actively discouraged uh, to acquire those tools. So if you're listening to this and you, what we're saying resonates with you, uh, I, what I would consider doing is I would consider taking realistic, probably starting out small because larger steps are going to be one harder. And if you fail at harder things, it's going to undermine your sense of efficacy. Uh, this is something that, you know, if you've ever played a sport, you've probably learned. If you ever did strength training in the gym, you know, you never want to go to failure first because that's going to have a kind of a psychological effect on you where it's like, oh, well, I can't get any stronger. Um, so look at small things that you can do actively in your life to take control of your education um, and work up harder and harder on those things. So if there's something you want to learn that you're not learning in school, go and find a way to learn it in the world around you today. Uh, school is a, higher education in particular, is a credentialing process. It's not an education process. 
if what you're looking for with education, if you're looking for the acquisition and retention of knowledge, I mean, you have no excuse for not engaging in the materials that are out there in the world today. Um, They're everywhere, right? We live in the age of MOOCs. We live in the age of Wikipedia. We live in the age of email where you can get in touch with any expert in a field and interview them, start a podcast and just interview experts, right? Like that's, again, a very easy way to learn a lot of things and work your way up with these things. What I will bet you will find is that school actually impedes your ability to succeed, uh, this is what I found myself. And I, like I said, I ended up leaving the University of Pennsylvania in order to learn more and engage in the real world. And uh, what I did was I joined a company called Praxis. I was uh, on the founding team, did business development for the last couple of years, uh, where what we do is we put young people in apprenticeships at startups where they can actually learn by doing, right? You're not sitting in a classroom. Uh, you're not sitting in a classroom. You're not grabbing anybody coffee. You're doing real substantive work, engaging with real people who are interested in ideas. Uh, And I think that that's the biggest step that a young person today can take to actually take control of their education. Because one of the big things, and we talked about this with Brett Minot. If you haven't listened to our conversation with Brett Minot, this is an important one. I recommend going back and listening to it. One of the really big things that I think schooling tends to do is it undermines your sense of self-esteem. And this isn't like woo-woo, everybody needs to get a trophy for just participating kind of sense of self-esteem. There is something called a sense of self-efficacy. And your sense of self-efficacy is your, is your understanding of your ability, ability to comp- accomplish things in the world. It's your understanding, it's an implicit understanding usually, of your ability to set your mind to a task and then accomplish that task. If you have low self-efficacy, you're not actually going to go out and try to accomplish tasks. So one of the best things you can do in order to achieve a sense of self-efficacy is just go out and start accomplishing tasks, right? Start small, figure out something you're interested in, uh, do a little project around that, read about it, interview an expert on it, do a slightly larger project and continue doing this until you start to plateau. And at that point, you know, if it's a valuable skill set that you think that you can make a career out of, you can make a substantive impact in the world, you can build the future with it, pursue that further, right? That at that point is where, okay, you've plateaued, things get harder. That's part of learning. Uh, then you can actually pursue it at a slightly higher level. If it's just an interest where you're trying to acquire a higher le- a sense of self-efficacy, then find something else that falls into the category I just mentioned and get better and better at that. that so that's, that's my advice. It's a little abstract, but reclaiming that sense of self-efficacy, I think is like the number one thing that you can do as a young person. Sure. And would, would you give the same advice to a 14-year-old? Uh, currently in what is that ninth or 10th grade? Absolutely. I mean, I I think that the, you know, I was talking to somebody else about this the other day uh, about the, the biggest problems facing education today. Um, And quite honestly, I think one of the biggest problems facing education today is the fact that if you're a 14 year old, it's really, really hard for you to go out and get a job. Right. Um, Because I think that that job is probably going to be the sense that a, you can claim that self sense of self-efficacy and B, that you're actually going to be able to escape the classroom. Uh, but, uh, you know, adolescence is something, and again, John Taylor Gatto's got some excellent work on this. Adolescence is a totally artificial time of life that was created by the extension of school into young adulthood. I think that if you are at the point in your life where you've developed critical thinking skills, which the, that's probably like the most urgent thing for you to do when you're very, very young, Uh, But once you've developed those critical thinking skills and you can actually engage with ideas in the world and you can think logically and coherently about conflicting ideas, at that point, yes, you need to go out and you need to start building your skill set. 
you need to start figuring out what it is that you can do, what it is you can become very, very good at, and how you can build new options for people out of that. This is just an anecdote, but I was at a uh, Praxis event and I got to meet Austin and Austin is 16 years old. Oh yeah, Austin, and, Austin's 16 years old, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he was sitting there and this was, this was a grown-up event. Uh, we were playing poker and just finding out that he has like a real, you know, uh, nine to five, like real, real position at like a real company you know, doing real activities. I forget what his, his actual role was, but it was like in either sales or business development. And, you know, he was a fully salaried employee at 16. Uh, now there was some, some legal stuff they had to work around, I guess, to, um, you know, he's got like our restrictions or something. But I mean, it was just a, a stunning example of how you don't have to wait, you know, until you're 23 and out of college or whatever uh, to begin adding value to the world. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things I've learned from the last three and a half, nearly four years of, of working with people ages, you know, 16 now, if we count Austin through like 29 at Praxis is I would much rather take somebody who's driven and hardworking at 16, 17 years old than somebody who's highly credentialed at 23, 24, 25, any day of the week, put them into a job. And I, I, I don't think that that's just like a totally irrational kind of like oh, school ends up harming people thing. I think that that's actually a product of going through the school system, making people less effective. What we've talked about so far, right? If you are a parent, seriously consider uh, removing your children from the school system if what we've said resonates with you. If you are a young adult, seriously consider going out and building your education for yourself. You have no excuse not to. If you are a young, young adult, i.e. an adolescent, uh, this still applies to you. It's a little bit harder because of legal restrictions, what have you, but those options truly are available to you. And if you are someone who does have that entrepreneurial drive, go out and build options for people. If you don't have people going out there and building new educational options, they're not going to happen. That's the reality of the situation. Let's finish up our series with just listing some of our or more favorite resources on this topic. Um, There's very, in my opinion, there's very few uh, books and and media out there that directly um, talk to de-schooling, especially in the sort of adult experience that we're talking about. A lot of them are either criticisms of school or sort of uh, look to save the children, but they're still, I think, incredibly useful and, you know, fascinating, you know, literature in their, their own right. Uh, we've already mentioned John Taylor Gatto several times. In my opinion, the, the first book to start with is Dumbing Us Down, which, of course, uh, we can plug you, uh, have uh, written the forward for in the new edition. And then probably my second favorite. I wrote the forward to in the new yeah. edition, so that's fun. <laughs> uh, I, I really liked um, Weapons of Mass uh, Instruction, uh, a little bit of overlap between the two books, uh, but they're both short. Uh, they're both, he's, in a, he's a really fun engaging writer and uh you know it, it really blew my hair back because it was it was controversial and yet refreshing and enlightening um Gatto actually might be my favorite libertarian author of them all we can go through these pretty quickly uh john holt is probably the what would we call the 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 father or the grandfather of the homeschool movement um teacher own i think is probably his most famous book um Illich, 
who wrote Zach, you can you can stop me if you want to add add into here. Uh, if if I'm going. No, to I ask. mean I, Ivan Illich was Ivan Illich, and I'll just say was when I first I knew for years that something was wrong with school, right? Like I hated being in school. Uh, I was a good student, as as I've noted before. I was a good student because if you're a good student in the child uh, the the era of No Child Left Behind, they'll leave you alone and you'll be able to get out. Uh, and spend more time doing the things you want to do. But with Ivan Illich, actually, I think, I think I'd come across Gatto's work before. I actually think I originally came across some of the narrated pieces of his. Uh, they're narrated by, by Brett Finott uh, on the School Sucks uh, YouTube channel. But the first book I actually sat down with on this matter was Ivan Illich's uh, Deschooling Society, where Illich kind of proposes, and this is like, what, back in the 60s? Mm-hmm. He essentially proposes a network like the internet in order to help people become educated. A a combination of like the internet and experts who are people who are actually versed on a matter and connecting with those people in order to, again, acquire and retain knowledge, if that's what we're talking about, what education is. And it's a short little book, highly recommended. Um, Illich is kind of of an interesting, weird writer on other topics, uh, but this one is is highly recommended. Uh, The next on my list is Grace Llewellyn, uh, which is the Teenage Liberation Handbook. Uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a pretty uh, detailed book. It's a little bit older, uh, but it's actually a book that is addressed right to teenagers telling them to get out of school. Still, as a parent uh, who was researching this for homeschooling, I found it very useful. And of course, when you're reading it, you can always empathize and put yourself, your teenage self in, you know, um, as the audience and, and sort of feel what she's, what she's saying. And so in, in that way, it can be a very good uh, de-schooling tool as well. Uh, moving on, we, uh, Peter Gray, we probably don't have to spend too much time on, but free to learn. Uh, we had him on in uh, an earlier episode in the series. Uh, so hopefully if you've been listening all the way through, you got to hear him speak, but he has a great book um, on raising children and on free play. I think for, for de-schooling, there's a lot of books that don't specifically talk to schooling uh, or the, the de-schooling process, but are all aimed at helping people be better and uh, you know, be more effective to add more value to the world, to find success, to act in unconventional ways. Um, and there's probably just way too many to possibly listen. Uh, list uh, some of my favorite productivity books for the four-hour work week and getting things done. Um, I really enjoyed Napoleon Hill and, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's all sorts of books, you know, anywhere from, uh, working better to, um, building wealth that can sort of help you change. Is there any favorites that come to your mind, Zach, in in that, that vein? Uh, I wouldn't really put it under the productivity category. Um, but I, I don't really see anywhere else for this book to go. So, you know, we talked about, uh, if you're entrepreneurially inclined, providing options to people, there are a couple excellent, excellent short little passages in uh, Peter Thiel's uh, Zero to One, which is a book from a couple of years ago. Yeah, I like that one. It's a book primarily about uh, here's, how, here's how and why you start a startup, right? Um, and it looks like a business book, but I actually think it's a, a book of like social criticism. It's a book of philosophy. It's an excellent, excellent, excellent little book. Um, I actually... Man, I, there's just some real zingers in it. I have a copy of it with me. Let me see. I, I highly recommend that. Teal identifies a lot of the problems that people 
I think, experience, especially as like high achieving young people. And school in particular is one of those uh, major institutions that causes this. So, okay. He talks about something called indefinite optimism, right? Or an indefinite pessimism or indefinite attitudes about the future that, you know, the future will get better, the future will get worse somehow, eh, you know, that we are not actors to create that kind of future. And uh, at one point he says, indefinite attitudes to the future explain what's most dysfunctional in our world today. Process trumps substance, which is something we've talked about repeatedly in here. When people lack concrete plans to carry out, they use formal rules to assemble a portfolio of various options. This describes Americans today. In middle school, we're encouraged to start hoarding extracurricular activities. In high school, ambitious students compete even harder to appear omnicompetent. By the time a student gets to college, he spent a decade curating a bewilderingly, bewilderingly diverse resume to prepare for a completely unknowable future. Come what may, he's ready for nothing in particular. Excellent book, um, especially, like I said, if you're interested in questions of startups and questions of entrepreneurial success. Cool. Yeah, I, I love that book as well. Uh, let's give Isaac Morehouse a free commercial here with uh, his, his newest book, Don't Do Stuff You Hate. Uh, it's all about self-improvement and it's all sort of uh, framed in the praxis mindset. Um, I just, I just finished that last week. We had a whole uh, a part of our series we did earlier with Brett Vinat uh, was on part, partly included uh, Nathaniel Brandon's six pillars of six pillars of self-esteem. I, I haven't actually personally read this book, but I've heard a lot of Brett's work on this. That's I reread this book um, a couple of weeks ago for the first time in a, in a couple of years and it's something I would highly, highly recommend. Uh, you know, I, one of the things that I've echoed a couple of times, Brett talked about a little bit, is a couple of things like self-responsibility, integrity, um, consciousness. But in particular, I think that this sense of self-efficacy, of uh, believing on like a deep internal level, having a model of yourself as somebody who can make plans and carry those plans out is very, to say it's very important is an understatement but it's particularly tricky in the schooled mindset. So uh, Brandon's work in general, I would recommend uh, if you get a chance, you know, he's got a lot of audio books that are like kind of, he's the father of the modern self-esteem movement. Again, not in the everybody gets a trophy way. He actually really hated that. But in the sense of psychotherapy is actually something that, you know, sane people should engage in people who want to live better lives. So uh, I strongly recommend anything by, by Nathaniel Brandon. I want to strongly endorse the School Sucks Project. Uh, it's over 300 episodes. If there's probably any audio resource that is most closely aligned to the deschooling process, it's School Sucks and Brett Vinat. Um, he's moved beyond just criticism of school, which is actually a very small part of the podcast, to go into personal productivity, uh, issues like self-esteem, logic, uh, learning how to think, all sorts of, of things that are are sort of education for the person who wants to remove themselves from the school line. So uh, if, if you're short on time and don't want to listen to all 340, uh, I would go check out his series, which are his very concentrated planned out shows. He also has in the middle of there more of a talk show format, which are still very good and still very entertaining, but not quite as potent and don't pack the punch uh, of, his, of his series. I want to plug uh, Renegade University with Thaddeus Russell. Uh, Thaddeus was a guest on one of the installments in this series. It's not open yet, but keep a, you know, keep, look, keep a lookout. We're, we're hopeful that it's going to be wonderful. It should, because Thaddeus does great work. 
The last resource I want to mention is the Praxis blog and the Praxis program itself. It's a nine-month intensive program where young people get a real job in the real world while simultaneously taking an aggressive course in marketing, uh, branding, economics, and other key topics. It accelerates. It's almost sort of the anti-education education or the anti-schooling education, uh, fully enabling young people to get out of the school set uh, the school mindset and directly enter the workforce. You can find out more at discoverpraxis.com. If there's other resources you think would be valuable for deschooling oneself, please submit them to us in the comments section at deschoolyourself.com. This wraps up our eight part series on deschool yourself. I hope you enjoyed it. If there are any further podcasts that come out on this feed, they will probably just be interview shows that we did in promoting the podcast. And if you are interested in interviewing us, uh, reach out to me, jeff at 500years.org, all spelled out, and we'd be delighted to talk to you. If you want to hear Zach and I talk more about education and a host of other topics, we both have our own podcast, Zach's podcast is called Doers. And it's available on the iTunes store. My podcast is Jeff Till's FHY or 500 Years, which you can find at the website 500years.org. There's about 30 episodes of my podcast, and I think about a dozen of Zach so far. Once again, thanks for listening, and happy deschooling. Thank you for joining us. You can share this podcast and learn more by going to www.deschoolyourself.com. You may promote this series by rating or reviewing it on iTunes. Host Zachary Slayback is the author of the book, The End of School. Jeffrey Till is the author of the book, Rise Above School. Both are available in hard copy and Kindle at Amazon.com.